Well, this morning we embark on something. I really hesitate to do that because I will not be here next week, and it'll be a totally different kind of service next week um, with a whole different theme. But I want to introduce something this morning that is going to take us months to get through. And I'm willing to just acknowledge that right up front. And if you say, well, I got it all today, Pastor, I'll see you in February. Um, <laughs> well, that's your problem. But <laughs> you're going to miss out on some really great stuff along the way. So today we are going to enter into a study of John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And of all the aspects of Gospel of John that I've looked forward to is these three chapters that I have anticipated the most. As a young pastor, 29, 30, I'm sorry, 30 years ago, Julie's 30, right? Yeah. 30 years ago, uh, the Gospel of John was the first gospel I had ever preached through. And I got to these three chapters, and about halfway through, something started clicking as I went through 14, 15, 16. And, and I started diagramming, and that was kind of exciting. And I used to do that a lot. I used to diagram sentences a lot as part of my study. I don't do it very much um, because I preach through the whole Bible now. So um, I can start over, and I just I don't have to do it. No, I'm just um, Now I have some aspects that I can lean on from from my own study, but this is one of the first passages of Scripture that I really just laid my teeth into and got so excited. It was one of those, but wow, you know, events in a, my office, and, and if you've never been around when I get a wow event in my office, that's because you didn't live with me when 30 years ago. Uh, my wife did. She's like, what, 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 what? She comes running in, what, 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 what? Because I'm loud when I have one of those. I really say that, wow, out loud, like, wow, and What? You know, and so that does happen to me in my office occasionally. Um, and uh, on very simple things sometimes, but sometimes the simplest discoveries are the most powerful ones. The, and I remember the day when I got several of my family running into my office. When, and what are you so excited about? Well, I just found out this cool part. It's in the Lord's Prayer. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow! I was like, what? Why is that? You've known that since you were a child. Yeah, but did you read that? And it transformed my whole philosophy there of understanding the aspects of God's sovereignty versus his humility. Right there in the Lord's Prayer. That is there from childhood we knew that. That God's will is not being operated on, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we need to pray for that to happen. And so don't walk around and say everything is God's will. Um, lest you start to charge your God with evil. Um, it is not God's will that these things happen. His will was for that everything would be perfect. That's how he created things. And so part of our prayer life is that we pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, his will is always done, but not on earth. That was a wow event for me. And it probably just was, if it's sort of a wow event right now, just say it. Wow! Never thought about that, okay? Uh, you know all about that. <laughs> All right, so John 14, 15, and 16 was probably the first time in my preaching ministry where I really just sat there going, and it just took over. And when it takes over your thought and your preparation, and, and there's a couple of sermons that were kind of puny because I was too busy trying to get all this together. And, and then towards the end, when I was getting towards the end of chapter 15, that preaching series, I presented this handout. And I was like, i got to back up and start over at chapter 14 because, wow! And people picked that up 
I don't know if I can communicate all that very well this morning because it's not as big a wow to me anymore because I've been living with it for 30 years, 29 years. And uh, so I want to communicate the excitement of these, this passage of Scripture. Chapter 14, 15, 16 starts off with, let not your heart be troubled. And it really says, stop worrying is how it starts off. Because the, the uh, tense of the verb is not, don't start worrying. It's, you're already worrying. Stop your troubled hearts. Because they were already troubled in their heart. Now, we've already seen in chapter 13, chapter 12, that Jesus had, was troubled in his spirit with regard to several aspects. He was troubled in his spirit about Judas Iscariot. He was troubled in his spirit about the unbelief of Jerusalem. These things troubled him in his spirit. And he comes to his people, to his disciples, here on the night of his betrayal. Judas is gone. I want you to understand that. Judas is off the scene when we get to chapter 14, 15, 16. And that means that what we are about to study is for the church. It is for those who are committed followers of Christ. And if you are not that, please take everything I have to say for the next three months or so uh, and realize it's not for you. It's not yours to claim, to possess. I don't care if you can quote it. It's not what it's about. It's about a real relationship with, Je with God through Jesus Christ. And without that, even if you have been going to church for a long time, um, Judas has been going with Jesus for three years at least, uh, followed him around, watched all the miracles, watched all that, heard all the teaching, and had good knowledge of it all, and he was a Judas. He was a betrayer. Uh, he troubled God's spirit, the Lord's spirit. And so uh, Judas is gone, so we're talking about his, his committed followers, uh, those that he had a, a understanding and a knowledge that they would form the, the leadership of the church, in just a few weeks. Pentecost is a few weeks away, 50 days. 51, if you want to be technical. Um, so we're, we're dealing with this. This is for the believers. And in fact, by the time we get to chapter 17 and, and Jesus' prayer, he is going to start saying, you know what, you guys, I'm not going to call you disciples, I'm calling you friends. This is how intimate these passages, these chapters are to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's going to be some very precious phrases that you're going to encounter through here. There's going to be verses that you've memorized. But my fear is that we have these very important phrases and we don't understand or appreciate the larger context of them. And so you're probably going to have places underlined in your Bible in chapter 14, 15, 16, including um, right away in chapter 14, uh, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Well, we... That's important, but you don't get it. That's to encourage you. You might say that's a very exclusive claim. Yes, it is, but it's an exclusive statement he made so that people's hearts, his followers' hearts, would not be troubled. And so we're going to work our way through this, but we're going to do it in a little bit of a different fashion because um, of the nature of how he teaches in these three chapters I have to make a choice. I either go verse by verse, which is historically how I like to preach. Um, it is the easiest way to preach. Um, it is the most effective way to preach. And I believe it is uh, a very 
spiritual way to preach. I, I, hate, I don't know how to say that, but um, this is the order that the Spirit gave the Word, and I believe it's, it's more valuable for us to follow that leadership than whatever I feel like during the week to preach on. I think it's better to do it the way the Spirit gives it. So I, I'm really careful not to get away from that very often, and we are going to handle every verse here, but you're going to see some cycles there is a repetitive nature to what Jesus teaches here, and that shouldn't bother you because every sermon I give is about 10 minutes long. I have 10 minutes of content. I just have to repeat it about eight times so that you get it. And every good, every good pastor, every good preacher has about 10 minutes of content, 10 to 12 minutes of content. And they just have to repeat it. And Jesus Christ here has some content that he keeps cycling back and repeating it using different illustrations, using different verbiage, sometimes very close to the same verbiage, but he keeps hitting these same aspects over and over again repeatedly. Remember, he's dealing with a bunch of fishermen uh, that aren't taking notes. They're sitting around, their bellies are full. Um, they are going to get up in the midst of the, in the middle of this and get up and go for a walk. Uh, maybe they're falling asleep and not paying attention, and that's why he said, let's get out of here, and now I'm going to start over and tell you the whole thing I just taught you in the upper room. We're going to talk to you on the walk, but I'm going to use a different illustration, especially if you're walking through the vineyards on your way to Gethsemane. And so we're going to see that in chapter 15. We're going to see these repetitive statements, um, but rather than going through there and having to visit all these themes as they keep cycling around, I'm going to handle the themes and go through each usage of them in these three chapters. And that's going to kind of disrupt me. I don't know if it'll disrupt you, but it'll disrupt me from my normal way of preaching. And so please pray for me. I got, I'm excited about it, but I also recognize it's a little unusual for me, and that always makes my sermons rough, I think. Uh, and so we come to um, this, and we want to establish a picture in your mind to put 14, 15, 16 together as a unit, because this is a conversation Jesus has that doesn't take him three months, okay? It's going to take us that long, okay? But it doesn't take Jesus that long. But I'm pretty sure that the disciples had a lot of help, John particularly, to many, many, dec to, to several decades later, pen these words by the Holy Spirit's help to remember these things. And there are themes that are in his writing and in the other apostles' writings as well. And so we're going to carry each of these themes. And there aren't a lot of them, all right? So it's not because I need one for every week. In fact, there's probably only about five. But I'm going to start with, I was going to have a great picture of a building and how you have to have a good foundation and you build each floor upon it. And I realize that's a very masculine thing and I've used it in the past. So I've decided to go with, a, with a, also a very masculine thing. Uh, we just don't associate in this country with masculinity uh, and that's with a cake. We're going to bake a cake. Now, you think of that as woman's work, but that's because you're American you're dumb. Um, best cake bakers in the world are all men. There's only one thing men aren't better at than women, it's having babies. So I'm just messing with you. You see, some of you are already like, did he just say that? Yeah, he did. He's just with a smile on his face and a love in his heart. It's okay. 
I just wanted to include our men, not to disassociate themselves, because I'm using the picture of a cake. I'm trying to help our men stay with me, because I'm not using the illustration of a building. And so I asked my wife this past week, do we have, like, a fancy cake plate? She says, yeah, does it have a pedestal on it? Yeah, it has a pedestal with a base, and it comes up and has a nice large area for your cake to go on. And they happen to make the cake plates just about the same size as the cake pans. Isn't that amazing? Who do you think figured that one out? It was not a politician, I'll tell you that, okay? And so this is pretty standardized, the cake plate, cake pan. That's a good deal there. We have a foundation. The cake plate's purpose and, and it was, I'm going to probably produce this in two weeks, by the way. We're going to start building a cake over here. And I was not going to do it. I was so busy yesterday, I, didn't, I just sat down. I wasn't getting up again um, after yesterday's events. And so I uh, want to put that in your mind, that this is your, your foundation. Um, and we're going to see how to build a multi-tiered cake. I'm not talking about two or three. I'm talking about the big stuff. You know, that you see those things where people are walking around with a cake that's as tall as two men and they're carrying it and then you, somebody's running by and they're lifting it, trying to avoid it for a wedding. And, and inevitably it has to fall on somebody, right? You know, as soon as you see a cake like that, it's there to fall on somebody. That's why it's in the movie. Um, but that's not what we're laying out. We're laying out something very, but something substantial like that. All right, and so we're going to start with the foundation today. And we're going to start with a layer of cake that is going to be pretty substantial this morning. And that's going to be the first layer. It's going to sit on this good, firm base, this plate. And I like the, I like the picture of a cake plate up on a pedestal. and We'll see why, hopefully a little bit later this morning. But I also want to take you to the end, because this is an overview this morning. And we're going to really tear into this in two weeks. Um, the end of this, and if you've ever purchased a really nice cake uh, at a bakery, you'll get a box with like a little cellophane window on the top, right? This is what you get to see of the cake. Even if you open it, you don't want to take it out of there because you don't want to mess it up. You look in there and you want to see it decorated the way you like. Right? You want to see, and you're not looking at the cake at all, are you, at that point? Are you seeing the cake? No. Are you seeing the pedestal? No. What are you seeing? When you look at a completed cake presented at a wedding, you don't see any of that. You don't see the little structure that's going on inside of the cake to hold a large cake. Now, I've done some catering, uh, weddings in college and stuff and, and afterwards, and so I know a little bit of what goes into building these cakes large case, because I want to tell you something, cake doesn't hold cake very well. Okay, once you get, I mean, you get weight on those, and bleh. And so we have a little structure that we build inside of this. And so I want to look at the structure that's inside as the work of God, and the cake as your response to his work, and the icing as what the world sees. All right, because the world doesn't see the structure, they don't really even see the cake. They just want to see the icing. And they want to look down in this little box. They don't even want to know about the rest of what's going on. They're really looking into your life, and they're just seeing what's through that little cellophane window at the top of the cake box. Is it decorated properly? And let me share with you what the decorations of the Christian life should look like, that the world can see whether or not there's any structure in there. They're looking for these 
three elements, and they are recorded by Jesus Christ here. They are three major things, he's going to say, should be the result of all the rest being done right in your life. So I'm giving you the end, the beginning and end. And we're going to talk about all stuff that goes in between as we go through these chapters. And that is these three aspects. You should have joy that is complete. You should have peace. And you should have love. These are three aspects the world does not have. They do not comprehend it. They do not understand joy that can rejoice in suffering. They understand happiness, even if they don't have a lot of it in their life. They, they seek it. They, they understand being happy. Oh, this is funny. It makes me laugh. And, but that's not joy. And Jesus Christ says, your joy should be full. I have spoken these things that your joy may be full. We're going to see that. That's in chapters 14, 15, 16. We want you to have fullness of joy. That means that there is nothing, nothing that I encounter in this world in terms of opposition, hardship, trials, nothing that can rob me of that joy. The joy is the icing, if you will. It's the decoration of the work of God in our life. Jesus Christ says, I'm doing all these things. Don't let your heart be troubled. I want you to have fullness of joy. He has already spoken about love. He has personified it and demonstrated it and, and spoken of it in, in the previous chapter. He has shown it through the washing of their feet and the alignment of that with forgiveness. And he has, again, reiterated the necessity of love. We have we have followed that trail all through the Gospel of John that uh, from God so loved the world, that's in John 3. All right, the love of God has been, as, as you cannot miss it all through this. We're going to talk about loving one another and the love of God being in us. And that should be the evidence to the world that there is substantially something wondrous about us as they peek through that little cellophane window in the box of your life. Because they don't see the rest. They don't see what's going on. They don't know necessarily how you got that. And that's why it says be ready when they ask the reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready in season, out of season, because they're going to ask, what's with you? We can't knock you down. Well, you, I have joy. Not, not just happiness, not just entertainment. That's not what we're talking about. I have joy, and that is a foreign concept to them. That must mean that everything always goes your way. You're just lucky. No. I have joy when things, particularly when things don't go my way. So, joy should be evidence in our life. It is the icing. It is the, it is the visible aspect, and it should be your experience. And I would contend with you that uh, it is a necessary experience of your Christian life. That if you don't have it, you need to start really challenging yourself. Do I have a real relationship with Jesus Christ? Or am I one of those pharisaical kind of people that claims that? Am I a Judas that, that has walked this walk and never really internalized it? I had my own dreams and agendas. Are we loving one another? And loving isn't about just getting along with people you like because that's, the world does that. They gather in groups all over the place with people they like and they get along. 
Love it. And when our churches start to look like that, well, you know, here's an upper middle class church. Here's, a, here's a, uh, another church tradition. Here's this church tradition. Here's, and, and we start segregating our churches. Um, and, and segregation isn't just about, about the color of your skin. Segregation can be about your social economic position. Segregation can be about what culture you come out of. Uh, in addition to language issues, and also even to a degree some theology things. And so when we, when we segregate ourselves, well, the world does that. You know, they have these people get over there, and they, they get along, and so, you know, they all cheer for the Dallas Cowboys, and so they can go to their Dallas Cowboy bar, and they can have Dallas Cowboy insignias on their stuff, and they get along because they all like the Dallas Cowboys. I just picked one out of the hat. I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan. I didn't want to preach to myself, I want to preach to you. No. <laughs> Do that. It's, sorry. I got eight and a half hours of sleep last night. It's ridiculous. I'm really happy. So they get along. That's the world's way. What church should be is a bunch of people that the world looks at and says, How do you guys get along? And we love each other, whether we get along or not. And so I can come up to Denver Bronco fans, and I can smile and hug them and love on them, and, and, and when they lose, I won't go up and say, <laughs> I won't do that to them. I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, dude, your team lost. I know inside I'm happy, but I'm crying with those who cry. Genuinely, because I know it makes them feel bad. I don't want your day ruined because your team lost, unless they're playing my team. And No, I, no. And the world doesn't understand that. We need to show a love that, that transcends all these divisions among men. This is the love one another part, that the world should look at churches and not see the same thing just replicated in religious things as they see in the secular world. Well, we're a trade union, you know, we're all carpenters, or we're all this, we're all that. Well, if all we do is get together with a bunch of people that think like us, look like us, talk like us, act like us, and, and we love on each other and not everyone else, well, how are we different than the world? And that's why the church needs to look and have within it everyone of a diverse culture uh, getting along. Not artificially, but genuinely getting along. That I can go to the, you sent me to the Philippines a couple years ago, and, and I can sit in there, and all these brethren, and they, they all look different. They all, I can't understand most of what they're saying, even though they're speaking English. I still can't understand what they're saying very well. And I'm going, huh? Huh? Can you write that down? You know, because my ears are just not good at, at these things. Of course, some of you don't understand your English very well either. So, we we can get there, we can, and we can become fast friends. I spent four days together. That was it. We can become fast friends. Why? Because we have a brotherhood of the blood of Jesus Christ that transcends everything else. This is the love that the world should see in the church. No, I don't agree with them politically. I don't agree with them. We don't look alike economically. We don't look alike uh, in any of these ways the world might think of. 
But we love one another. We're going to care for one another. And then the third icing, the third decoration of the Christian life that makes you complete in Christ that is shared here is peace. Oh, how the world lacks it. You see it all around you. They don't have peace at any level of their life. They are not at peace with themselves. They are not at peace with their family. They're not at peace with their wives or husbands. They're not at peace with their employers. How do you know they're not at peace? Listen to them. Listen to them complain. And on and on and on and on. There's no mistake that the Bible says that one of the aspects of the virtuous woman is that her husband praises her in the gates. Because her home is at peace. She's been an agent of peace in the home. And so I strive very much to make sure my family doesn't have anything to complain about because I want them to be at peace. And they should be striving equally as much to make sure I don't have anything to complain about and we have peace. But again, this is not artificial. It is not the nature of man to seek out others and to bring peace. It is to seek our own interests. And so Jesus Christ is going to Talk about the nature of peace, peace with God, peace with one another. This peace I give you that the world cannot give you. We're not talking about just the absence of war. We're talking about a settledness and a contentment and a, and a, uh, that, that moves us, all of us towards peace. A, a disinterest in the things of myself and a complete interest in the others. And that's why love is necessary. And that's when you know, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, I know that was faith, hope, and love, but they're connected to peace and joy. We'll get to that a lot later, like in January. Well, February, probably. The greatest of these is love. And so, Jesus Christ here is going to offer some things. He's going to offer joy, he's going to offer love, and he's going to offer peace in these three chapters. He's going to keep cycling these back around to us. These are the full evidences, and underneath them, there's some structural element underneath that. And underneath that structural element is a wonderful thing that too many Christians completely ignore, and it's shameful. I grew up not knowing this about God's word. Even though Jesus Christ repeats it multiple times in these three chapters. Multiple times. What is your joy, peace, and love immediately dependent upon? Not ultimately. Ultimately, it's dependent upon this foundation. We're going to talk about the foundation if I have time this morning. Um, The foundation is God the Father, the lower part of our pedestal plate, who sent God the Son. One piece, but you can see the two elements, right? So the lower part of our little pedestal cake plate, I'm going to bring it in two weeks because some of you are looking like, his hands are not helping me at all. Our little pedestal plate has the lower base. It's heavier glass. It's not quite as wide as the top, but it's substantial. It's holding all the weight of everything. And in it comes... One, a single act. He loves and sends his son. And the son provides. That's the foundation. 
between that foundation and this joy, peace, and love, there are several elements, both of your response to this foundation and of God's response to your response. We're going to be looking at those. I'll lay them out to you very quickly. I don't know if it'll help you down the road. They tell me not to do this in my hermeneutics classes. Never tell the end before or people stop listening to the in-between parts. So we'll see in the next few months if that's true. Um, so I'm going to tell you all the in-between parts. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, remember this is also your heart will not be troubled. Stop troubling your heart. Believe. The first part of the cake on that plate is to believe. You should at least believe the signs. You should believe the, what you've heard. You should believe the scriptures. But ultimately, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And follow. We, have followed, we have handled that extensively so far in this book. It's no surprise that Jesus Christ is going to start there. He says, and he's dealing with his disciples, his best followers. And he's looking at them, do you still not get that I and the Father are one? You still are, because they're still going to ask, show us the Father, and that's all we need. All right, this is not the beginning of his ministry. This is at the very tail end of his earthly ministry. Just show us the Father. So yes, they're still struggling with this. And so I do not imagine that there's no one in this room struggling with this a little bit what really it means to believe fully in who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is all, that he has provided for all of our needs, and that is so substantial, but our belief is there. And then, built upon that belief, there is another element. There is a next element that's, that's tied specifically to Jesus Christ, and it's a little pillars that are stuck in the cake of belief, and it goes all the way down to the plate, to the foundation, and that, that is the Holy Spirit. And you're going to hear the Holy Spirit be brought out. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to say it over and over and over again. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's going to do. And here's what else he's going to do. Here's what else he's going to do. Here's what else he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit, in response to our faith, believing in Jesus Christ, not, it's not just sitting on it because there's these little pillars that are going down to the plate sent by Jesus, just like Jesus was sent by the Father. And now we have a structural element to hold the next layer of cake. And the cake is you. Your response to the work of God. How do you respond to the Holy Spirit? And at that layer, we have a whole bunch of activity going on. We have a whole list of things for you. These are all the what-ifs. If, 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 if. All through this passage, is going to give us a lot of ifs. If you abide in me, my word abides with you. If you love one another, if you keep my commandments, if, and you have all these little boom, 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 little cakes all the way around. All these little things all put together that are the basis of the next layer. And the next layer is a wondrous one, and it is the one that's usually missing. It's the one that I didn't hear about as a child. I was told that in my prayer life, God answers your prayers by yes, no, or wait. Please give me a verse for that, please. Yes, no, or wait. I know Paul prayed something three times, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That was not a no. 
was, you're going to discover some cool stuff. That was go back to the ifs. Go back to the ifs. Learn about my grace. And Paul had to learn some more. Does that surprise you that Paul had to learn more? Does that surprise you that the Apostle Paul, even at that point in his life, had to learn some more about his God? I hope it doesn't surprise you. He had to learn. He's a human man. (laughs) Redundant. He's a human. He had to learn. He had to develop his faith like you develop your faith. And that has to take you back to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the wondrous provision of the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth. And one facet of that, in fact, I would contend the direct nature of that is your prayer life. If you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Jesus Christ didn't say that once, not twice, not three times, not four times, more than that. I'll let you count them. I know how many times. If you ask anything, I'll give it to you. Now, you can't take that layer of cake off and set it off by itself. Because it's conditioned upon all those little ifs that are underneath it. If you abide in me, if my word abides in you, if you bear fruit, if you love one another, all these ifs that we're going to encounter throughout these three chapters. If you obey my commands, if, if, if you follow me, all of these are going to be tucked in here. All these little conditional statements that are your Christian life and the the. the power of that is that then ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. And when that starts happening in your life, love, joy, peace. That's the icing. Why do I, how can I encounter the hardships of life with joy? Well, because I know that (laughs) I have the promises of God. They are yes in Jesus Christ. I I, I can trace it right down to the foundation. I recognize that it's all doo-doo. And and the building illustration is every load up here has to be transferred somehow down to the foundation. And as you build a building, the first thing you think, how much weight am I putting on top of that? So that I can make sure I transfer it properly to another thing that goes all the way down to the foundation. And so if I want to put a doorway in a bearing wall, what do I have to do? I have to look at all the weight that's above that bearing wall because it's going to carry my whole roof or the next floor or whatever. And I have to say, well, there's how much weight's going to be up there. I got three more floors of building I still got to put up there. So how much transference do I need? Now I have to put in a pretty substantial piece of timber to displace that load to the side so that it can be carried all the way down to the foundation because the foundation ultimately is what carries it all. All of it has to be transferred eventually down to foundation. And so my joy is found in the fact that I have these promises of God that are then conditioned upon a Christian walk that I can look at and say, oh, well, I should be living that way. And if I'm failing in one area, it's because I'm failing in this, because God never fails. 
So if the process starts breaking down, I don't point my bony finger at God and say, how dare you? I do what the prophet says is consider your ways. Why is my prayer life ineffectual? Well, your life isn't very godly. Or you don't really believe. Trace it down because one of those layers, and it's not the interior structure of the Father sending the Son, of the Son providing for your needs. It's not the structure of the Holy Spirit sent by the Son who empowers and informs and illuminates and convicts and all those things we're going to learn about. It's not that, and it's not the fact that God is asleep and not listening to your prayers. The element, the, 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 the elements that are most corruptible is the cake. You. Because the structure doesn't collapse. God doesn't fail. And so this we're going to discover. And, but I want you to recognize that all this is really exciting. It's exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to you because it starts off with, this is how to get rid of a troubled heart. Your heart's troubled? Let it not be troubled. And it starts right off. You believe in God? Believe also in me. I have a future for you. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. You know that I tell you the truth. You know that I love you. You know that I serve you. I will go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. We have this wonderful promise uh, from today to the end. Why are hearts troubled? Not because Jesus won't do what he says he'll do and he hasn't done what he says he'll but the, tr the trouble is your belief. Why are you troubling yourself? Believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because I and the Father are one and they didn't know that yet. They've heard it multiple times. They could give some lip service, but they didn't know it yet. They didn't internalize it into their very hearts, into their beings, that God is God, and Jesus Christ is God. And he is standing here right with us. And so they come to him with silly questions. Well, just show us the Father. Where are you going, by the way? You keep talking about this trip you're taking. What's the way? Why are they asking these questions? Because they their hearts are troubled because they aren't fully believing yet. Ultimately, the weakness in this entire cake display is not the plate. It's not these structural elements inside to hold it all together. It's the cake itself. And the evidence of it at the top is when the world doesn't see love, they don't see joy, and they don't see peace in your life, and they go, you're no different than us. And you know what? They're right. And the question is, is there a structure in your life? Is there a complete dependence upon God? From the Father sending the Son, the Son sending the Spirit, and each one of them can doing their part in your life, and you have wrapped your life around that structure. See, a really good cake will just wrap itself around the structure and just cling to it. 
and knowing this is our strength. But cake does weird things sometimes. It kind of gets crumbly. It gets dried out. When cake gets dried out, it gets kind of crumbly and stale and, and falls apart. And Sometimes it gets too mushy. And it just... Well, that's your part. And so these series of messages, this, this interchange that Jesus has with his disciples is to explain to them the structure of the Christian life, of the God side, and their response to it, and how they interrelate to one another. Because God is a person. Okay? And so that makes him relational. So he responds, he, does, he initiates, and then he waits for us to respond. Once we respond, he takes the next level, he responds. You believe, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. I'll send him. But Jesus Christ says, let not your hearts be troubled. Um, you believe in God, that's great, but you don't really believe in me yet. And then they prove it by saying, show us the Father. Um, you don't really believe in me, and so I'm going to give this whole ex- demonstration of what it means to believe in me. What, what does it really look like? And I, I know you're going to need the Holy Spirit to help you in all this, and I'll send him. Um, trust me, I'll send him. And but you're going to have to just wrap your life around this structure to stand fast when tribulation comes, that you still have joy, still have peace, still at peace. And that one is very convicting to me because I am a worry wart. That's who I am. I worry. If you miss one Sunday, I worry about you for like three weeks. Did I not do something right with them? Oh, what did I... That's who I am. I, I stay up late at night and worry about crazy things like getting a yard sale off the ground in the morning. And so I work hard at peace, and I recognize that that's my weakness, and so that part of my cake needs a little work. I don't know what your part of the cake is. All of us need that. So we're going to take this journey with Jesus through John 14, 15, 16, starting in two weeks. And hopefully as we look through each of these layers of it, and there's not a lot. I've given you all of the layers. Um, We're going to spend time in each one. It's going to take us several weeks. We've already talked about beliefs, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. But we're going to have to spend some time on some of these layers. We're going to spend two or three weeks on the Holy Spirit because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of lacking of our recognition of his work in our life. So we want to discover that. Why? Because I'm convinced that our hearts are troubled. If I have trouble in my spirit time and again, I'm pretty sure it's an experience all of us are dealing with. Jesus says, stop having your hearts be troubled. Here's what real belief is all about. And we're going to build this wondrous structure <laughs> We're going to make this cake, and we're going to eat it, too. (laughs) We're going to get it all. All right? Because that's what God wants. That's his plan. That's his purpose for us. These are the things he has purposed for our future. And it is no mistake that Jesus says, okay, um, this is going to be available to you till I come again. I go to prepare a place for you. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, But I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. We have a future 
But there's a lot of room between Christ's death and that future of coming again. We're still in that place. So it's been, it hasn't been 2,000 years yet, by the way. Um, We got it wrong when we started counting from his birth. That's not the event that should have started our calendars. The event that should have started our calendars is this one, his death, burial and resurrection. That should have been year one, zero. There's no year zero, so it's one. That should have been one. That would make this 1990. You're back in the 90s now. Okay, or is it 89? Let's see here, 19 and uh, Yeah, it's like 1989, all over again. Wouldn't that be good? 47, that's it, 47, yeah. Yeah. I know, most of you weren't born then. It's frightening to us that we're. That event has come. It has accomplished its purposes to an extent, but it's not completed yet. Don't be troubled. God's got the end in his hand. You're just in the in-between. You're in this place of going from here to there. And the purpose of this conversation, it's not a sermon. This is a conversation between Jesus' most intimate followers. We're having a conversation. How do I get from here to there? intact. That's what Jesus wants for you. It's what I want for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that when our hearts are troubled, you notice and you have a solution. Lord, we pray that we might trust you more. That it might be evident in our lives that you are active, and that you are everything we lean on and stand on. And Lord, we pray that the world might take notice that the peace and joy and love that you bring into our lives as we follow you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, where we have failed to follow you, to truly trust in you, Lord, show us as we examine our lives, we consider our ways, that we might impact this community for Christ more and more as we grow in our faith and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.